open your Bibles to the Gospel of John. John chapter 7. We're in John 7, verses 37 through 39. John 7, verses 37 through 39. And God's Word says this. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Please be seated. Let's ask the Lord to help us as we look at his word today. Thank you, God, for the privilege of being here in church. Thank you that we get to sing and, and acknowledge your greatness and confess our need of you, our unworthiness in and of ourselves, but how you've made us worthy. Thank you for all aspects of our worship service, but thank you now as we look at your word. We need your Holy Spirit to help us Open our eyes. Uh, Teach us what you would have us to learn. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it was a hot, hot night in Jackson, Mississippi. Somewhere, maybe 1996. What's that, about 25 or 6 years ago? I know it was about 25 pounds ago for me. Um, I was working the midnight shift at UPS, and it was hot in that warehouse, working my way through seminary. And we were sweating and working and sweating and working, and, and uh, I'd been there for a while. I'd never seen this done, but finally they shut everything down. Somebody went around passing out little cups, and we're sitting there with our cups, and here comes a cart, somebody pushing it, and here's the big cooler of Gatorade. You gotta drink. You gotta drink your Gatorade. You gotta drink your Gatorade, and it was fine because we were sweating badly in there. So I was with my buddy, native Mississippian, and he said, "I said, have they ever done this before? I've never seen this." He said, "Yeah, last year," and he told me this story. He said it was the same thing. They were worried about people passing out. Get the big, those big yellow igloo things of Gatorade and. And they gathered them all around, and they were waiting to feed them or or, or give them the water. And he said, this woman who was the supervisor said, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. And they weren't pouring the Gatorade in fast enough. They were looking for a stick to stir it. And he said, here's this woman dripping with sweat. And she says, we don't have time for this. And she sticks her hand, all that sweaty hand in there. And she just stirred that Gatorade up with her hand, put the lid on and said, now drink it. He said, I sure did want that Gatorade. I sure was not going to drink it. (laughs) Um, Think about the things that we drink, the things that we put into ourselves uh, to try and get our sustenance. And I guess he made it through that night without the Gatorade and... uh, The Gatorade was a little suspect to me that they were serving that night then, but I looked around and that woman wasn't there, so I guess I was probably safe. But listen, Jesus stood up 
he said, are you thirsty? And you think about spiritually being in a world of, of thirst, about to pass out, needing some energy, some electrolytes. Uh, on the last day of this feast was a ceremony, and they would bring water pitchers. And it, you can look it up yourselves and see uh, the significance of this. And that's why Jesus stood up and started talking about water, because they would have seen this Old Testament requirement and ceremony, which was pointing to Jesus. And Jesus stands up and he says, listen. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And he's talking spiritually about what we need. We see three things this morning. The first of, the, of, of them is a case supposed. If any man thirst. And obviously he is not talking about physical water. We know that. This reminds us of what he said to the woman at the well three chapters ago, where he said, I can give you a drink that will, you'll never be thirsty again. We know he talks about himself as the bread of life. We've just had that. And so he's talking about himself as the one who will satisfy, who can satisfy the spiritual thirst that we all have. What do we mean by spiritual thirst? Things like anxiety of soul. Things like conviction of sin and desire of pardon. We think of things, and maybe we don't think of them so much, but as we get older, sometimes those things in the past come back to us. I recently made contact with my sixth grade teacher, and it was great. And he's won a further conversation, and it was, it was wonderful. But I sure wish I could track down that fifth grade music teacher where I was so terrible and disrespectful and she was nothing but Christ-like and kind in response. And I wish I could look her in the face and say, I'm sorry. We have things like that. Conviction of sin. Regrets we have that we hope never come to the surface and we kind of get mad when they come to the surface in our own minds. How do you do, deal with that if you're not a believer? When we talk about spiritual thirst, it's things like peace of conscience. Someone said an honest man's pillow is his peace of mind. But none of us really have peace of mind if we stop. The best of us probably suffer the most. Probably should say it this way, the best of you among us probably suffer the most because you're the most bothered by the sins you've done. You're not numbed to it like so many of us are. They go, oh, those years were just a blur. And when they become not blurry, we say, oh, God, why did I do those things? Why did I think those things? Why was I so cruel to my brother or sister? Things like that. Why did I overlook? And we have a spiritual thirst to get things right with people and with God, and we know something's not right. And Jesus said, if anyone thirsts spiritually, let him come to me and drink. 
people do feel it, but not everyone who should feel it does feel it like they ought. And there is a spiritual dehydration that a lot of us walk around with. We put something in ourselves that does not satisfy us. A quick fix, a temporary fix. There's some things you can drink when you're thirsty and it's just going to make you more thirsty. But it's going to work against you. Some of the things we put in trying to quench our spiritual thirst. Uh, just a list, and we all know that. I could go around and say, uh, what do you think the survey said? And then we could be a, a family feud type game, and we would all come up with these. But I'm going to say um, what, what, just, just some categories of things that we try and put in our lives to satisfy our spiritual thirst. Things like money, pleasure, honor, rank, self-indulgence. Here's your first wild quote of the day. It's just a sentence where he said, the very first step toward heaven is to be thoroughly convinced that we deserve hell. The very first step toward heaven is to be thoroughly convinced that we deserve hell. All of a sudden we realize, I'm thirsty. I'm thirsty. Matthew 5, 6, Jesus said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Jesus said, if anyone is thirsty, spiritually thirsty, come to me. Anyone, come to me. Come and drink. There are people who are spiritually thirsty. Some of you might fit that category this morning. What should you do? We have a remedy proposed by Jesus. Come to me and drink. He calls himself the true fountain of life. Those of us, when we feel the weight of our sin, the overwhelming nothingness, the thirst that nothing else can quench, that we must take the only drink that satisfies I think my favorite album title from classic rock from the 70s got a good Indiana connection. John Mellencamp, back when he was Johnny Cougar, (laughs) called himself Johnny Cougar. And he went to John Cougar Mellencamp, then he dropped the Cougar part because it was dumb, and it's just John Mellencamp. But he had an album in the 70s called Nothing Matters and What If It Did. And that about sums it up, those of us who are spiritually thirsty. Nothing matters and what if it did? What's it all about? What's going on? I'm just carrying this weight. I'm hurting people. They're hurting me. Um, I've got these things I remember. Just when I forget them, somebody reminds me of them, and and, and I, I don't even know which to deal with first, and nothing matters, and I'm just walking through this earth so spiritually thirsty. And Jesus said, if you're spiritually thirsty, come to me and drink. You come to me and take a good, long drink. Believe in me. Put your faith in me. It's very simple. There's no works here. There's no mental gymnastics you have to to jump through. When you became a Christian, if you're a Christian, think about it. What was involved in that? What, what, What was done on your behalf? At some point you said, I recognize that my sins have separated me from God. 
I recognize that Jesus Christ is the one who died as my substitute. I repent of my sins. I say the same things about him as God does. I want to turn from him. I want somebody to deal with him. I trust in Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, whoever comes to me, I will in no wise cast them out. And it's so simple. Yet sometimes I think we Christians then kind of raise the bar on everybody else. Or try to. We can't raise the bar because God's the one who set the bar. But we try to. We make it complicated. No, it's simple. You thirsty, you drink. Come to Jesus and drink. Receive eternal life. Drink from that spiritual fountain. Turn to him. Uh, we're gonna get, going to get more and more into, as we get into John, more and more of the I am statements that Jesus made. We talked about one a couple of weeks ago where Jesus said, I am the bread of life. In John 8, I am the light of the world. John 10, I am the gate of the sheepfold. Uh, John 10 again, I am the good shepherd. John 11, I am the resurrection and the life. John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. John 15, I am the true vine. And though he doesn't specifically use the, the, the words I am, he is saying here, I am the only drink that satisfies. Some remedies might appear to work a little better for some than for others, but none work permanently except for Jesus Christ. Matthew 16, 26 and 27. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father. Then he will repay each person according to what he has done. We're saying, give me a drink, give me a drink, give me a drink. Let me try this that will satisfy. Let me try this. And none of it satisfies. A person is thirsty, spiritually thirsty, and then that person obeys Jesus and comes to Jesus and drinks of that spiritual water, the only water that can satisfy. And what then? Well, then Jesus holds out a promise to that man or that woman who does that. He says this, Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. You're thirsty. You come, you drink, and something happens. There is a life that is changed. Now, if you're reading in the King James, maybe even the New King James, it says, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. I said, ooh, why does it say that? Everybody knows that the Greek word for heart is cardia. That's where we get cardiac from. Well, no, in this case, Jesus said out of his belly. Uh, he used that word. He used uh, uh, koila, belly, stomach, womb. And, and they put the word heart in there because they did translate it heart here. But Jesus is saying there's a connection. Continuing this, uh, this analogy, uh, Jesus used this a lot. Consider Matthew 15, verses 17 through 19. Jesus said, Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth 
proceeds from the heart, and this defines a person. Jesus talking here in Matthew. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. That's what normally comes out of our hearts, our bellies. And Jesus said, you don't want to live like that. You don't want to live like that. You want what comes out of your heart uh, to be good things, to be right things. You want, you want that. And the way to do that is to take the drink from me, of me. If you're thirsty, come to me and drink. And this is the change that will happen. A few months ago, I committed in, in the preaching. I said, I'm going to talk about changed lives. I want changed lives to be the theme. And I did that for three or four weeks, and I'm getting into the text. I'm thinking, I don't know if I've emphasized that enough. Christianity changes lives. We pass from death to life. We were blind. Now we see. Uh, all of these analogies come to Jesus. That's where the change happens. Change in Direction, destination, eternally happens there. And Jesus said, if you're thirsty, come to me. And what comes out and what bubbles out is these spiritual good things. We talk about this, uh, peace that passes understanding, biblical phrase. How do people do it? How do they grieve without having the Lord in their life to give them a spiritual understanding? A sense of purpose. I'm not just some rat in some rat race. I'm not just a statistic. Uh, I'm not just somebody who's tracked all over the internet and they know if I'm going to buy Dr. Pepper or 7-Up or or, or what. Or how I'm going to vote, they think. Or what I... I'm not that. There's a reason for me. I'm made in God's image. I'm recreated in God's image. The Holy Spirit has entered me. And all of a sudden, I have a reason to get up and pull my pants on in the morning and put my foot in front of the other and and do whatever God's called me to do. There's a calm in the center of life's storm, and that's in my relationship with God through Jesus. That's what people say and experience when they take that drink and leave all the other drinks behind. I get to be a Christian in my family. My family may not be Christian or Christ-like. They may have words that say they are, but they may not be. But I can turn the other cheek and I can silently pray when I'm sitting around the table, and I can ask God and see an opportunity, but I get to be a Christian in my family. I get to be a Christian in my workplace, in my study group at school, or in the checkout line, or even more importantly, in the traffic jam. I get to be a Christian. Uh, some of us laugh because we say that's, that's kind of where we struggle the most, some of us, uh, where the rubber meets the road, pun intended. But uh, that's that's... What happens when we take that drink of Christ? He says, if you're thirsty, come to me and drink. And whoever believes in me, as the scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Then you think about 
another way that people have said Jesus is talking about the individual life, but then you think about the streams of living water, and you think about God putting people together in churches. There's a reason. One, one reason for putting people together in churches is because we can join together. And as we live for God, uh, together we can fulfill that great commission of making disciples. We can team up together and love and, and, and care for and serve and, and, and proclaim the good news. In our Sunday school class today, we're on question four of church membership. And we're going to discuss the last part of that that says, I, I will serve uh, the, I will serve the church in its worship and work to the best of my ability. And we're going to talk about the work part of it. How do we team together? Why do we do that? And you think about Christianity and the, the, the joint, the sum total of Christians from all over coming to Christ and what it means to have these streams of, of living water flowing out from us and how God uses that. I put in my notes to do this. So Laura's, Laura's who has my notes, wondering if I'm going to, I said, I'm going to look at my watch, my imaginary watch, and I'm going to say, what time is it? And then I'm going to say, it's time for an extended metaphor, and we can get this. I want you guys to hear this and think about this. read this book by Simon Winchester earlier this year. Uh, it was called uh, the, the, the Men Who United the States. And he had a chapter on how the United States was connected through canals and waterways. Now, you think about the Mississippi, you think about the Mississippi River. And listen to this. He says, thus does, and you think about the stream of water, and you think about flowing water and how we are connected. It says, thus the Mississippi does link the nation top to bottom. It has its origin close to one American frontier, and its terminus is close to another. It passes from almost Canada to almost Mexico. In doing so, it progresses from the nearly Arctic to the subtropical. It flows through an imaginably, unimaginably vast valley filled with numberless tributaries. It leaves endless trails of oxbow lakes as relics of where it once had been. Think of the flowing and the water running all these centuries, and all of these lakes it leaves behind. In places, the state boundaries that the river once marked are now quite out of date, their own twists and turns out of sync with the river's new twists and turns. Finally, it eases itself down into a long and muddy delta that is scored with dependent streams known as distributaries. And though it wiggles about a good deal, it does so basically moving in a series of fairly straight trending lines from north to southwest. What I want us to be thinking about is Christianity, from the creeds, from the church fathers, from the various gospel preaching denominations and people truly converting to Christ and coming to Christ and this flowing stream of Christianity that runs down through history. It says the basin of the Mississippi encompasses a good two-thirds of the contiguous 48 states, 31 of which contribute waters to its flow. The very existence of this million-and-a-quarter-square-mile wedge-shaped watershed 
which enfolds places as different from each other as Montana and Maryland, New Mexico and Kentucky, Wisconsin and Oklahoma, Idaho and Iowa, has created unintentionally a distinct kind of oneness in the middle of America. And you think about all the different Christians in the world, not just one race, not just one uh, region of the country or, or part of the globe, but Christians everywhere. And God's saying, I'm saving people from every tongue and tribe and nation. You come to Christ and take that drink and out of you, you are part of what God uses in that flow of Christianity of his people as he calls them. A rancher beside the Yellowstone River, a canoeist in the upper reaches of Monongahela, an ice fisherman jigging for walleye in northern Minnesota, a plantation owner with a lawn sweeping down to the Red River in Louisiana. All of these millions and millions more can take some kind of conforming comfort in knowing that the Mississippi connects them all. As with the midrib of a leaf or the shaft of a feather, the river provides for all some kind of half-imagined structure offering a kind of geographic strength, a degree of certainty, stability. The river is, after all, always there, an ultimate destination for their own fresh waters, for their goods, their supplies, and their commerce, as certain and comforting and immortal as the still more distant sea. You take a drink from the living water. Yes, there is a personal salvation. All who call on me uh, will be saved. Jesus said, whoever comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. But there is a connectedness that Jesus would talk about, that the church would bring about. And we all then, as Christians, contribute to this. And God uses that. And that's how we can pray for the persecuted church on the other side of the world And God can help us to see them not just as those people over there, but as our brothers and sisters in Christ over there. Streams of water flowing from them. God puts us together with our differences. Uh, He saves, uh, we talked about this, I think, in class yesterday. Uh, The whole world uh, is described. He's the savior of the whole world. And what does that mean? Not universalism like every single person that ever lived in the whole world all types of people from all classes and categories and, and uh, intellectual strengths and deficiencies and, and all of us. God saves his Christians, and that's what you're part of if you take that drink and you want to be part of that. Heaven is described as, as a place where uh, the lights are all on. It's bright. Jesus is the light of the place. Uh, described as wedding feasts, marriage supper of the Lamb. Hell is described as a place of loneliness and darkness and isolation. And Jesus said, you're thirsty? Come and drink and be part of what I'm doing to save my people from all over the place. We look at our Christianity, and it's not just us trying to work out our personal theology and do our little thing. We go from the evangelistic works of the apostles, the church fathers, the various creeds and councils, the gospel preaching denominations and independent churches, the martyrs, the little old men and ladies who live for Christ, those involved in government and education and architecture who are believers, 
working for Christ, the composers and writers, the deacons and elders in churches, those who translated the scriptures, those who distributed the scriptures, those who taught the scriptures to their little children in the seminaries. It's all part of what God has done and this great river of Christianity, and you are part of that if you're a Christian. And your works matter. And what you do matters as part of God's beautiful plan as he unfolds history. And can a little church called Christ the Shepherd be part of that? Absolutely. Oh, yes. We might not be the big, bigger river flowing into the, the Mississippi of its Christianity. We might just be a little tributary somewhere. But we are contributing. We're part of that. We get to be part of that. Celebrate that. You, are, you get saved. Uh, you go from just being looking out for number one and part of yourself and how can I use people to being I'm a Christian who's drunk from the stream and now I have something that God has for me to give. Be encouraged. Are you thirsty? Receive Christ. And from you, he said, will flow these streams of living water. And then that last verse. He said this about the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. We talked yesterday about how in the Old Testament the Spirit would visit Saul, and then he would leave Saul. That's why David in Psalms would say, take not your Holy Spirit from me. Uh, But then along comes the comforter that God gives, and the Holy Spirit enters uh, into the life of the believer. That's for those who took the drink of Jesus. Heard a terrible song about the gospel of bluegrass, They play so many good songs, but this one said, there's an angel sitting beside me. We all have a guardian angel, and when we're down, the guardian angel speaks to us, and the guardian angel this, and the guardian angel that. And I'm like, no, it's not a guardian angel that does all that. That's the indwelling Holy Spirit. Everything they described is what the Holy Spirit does when he enters into you. Jesus said, take the drink. Streams of water will flow out to you, and the Bible says he's talking about the Holy Spirit. God forgive me for not thinking Holy Spirit enough. Glad the Holy Spirit doesn't treat me like I treat him. It's a privilege to be a Christian, a privilege to be uh, saved by God. And I would say, if you're not, if you're thirsty, do what Jesus said. Come to him and drink. For those who have done that, we're going to bow our heads and pray and go to the table. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the salvation that is freely given in Jesus and through Jesus. Thank you for what Jesus did in dying for us on the cross. Thank you for the salvation and thank you for the Christian contribution we get to make on this earth before we go to that place that you are preparing for us. Restore unto us the joy of your salvation, we pray.
In Jesus' name, amen.